Greetings, Meltopians. If you've become enthralled by the dark wastes and nightscapes of Meltopia, and want to further explore its Stygian depths, consider joining our Patreon. For $2 a month, you could become a Meltopian and gain access to the darkest artworks, as well as written mythos pieces contained in the Melgrim, entries in Meltopia's own dark encyclopedia, and the legendary Corpus Diabolos, an elite publication containing essays written by the most esteemed dark scholars. For $5 a month, become a feared mailsayer and gain early access to episodes on the Meltopia and Sleepwake Cycle podcasts, and listen to new episodes of our audio series, Tales of Meltopia, The Lost Library, and The Weird Book. And for $10 a month, join the ranks of the Melsapien, where you can listen to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, October's Children, as well as gain access to found recordings discovered throughout the world in The Weird Tapes. But if you're not ready to delve into the pitch just yet, and would rather swim the shallows to test the blackened waters, you can explore our public page which contains our entire backlog of Tales of Meltopia, The Lost Library, and The Weird Book, episodes from the Meltopia podcast, which all together number over a hundred episodes. So, whether you want to become a full denizen of the dark, or simply peruse the public archives, come visit us at patreon.com forward slash Meltopia. That's M-A-E-L- T-O-P-I-A. Now, without further ado, enjoy the show. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details.
Despite the lack of a third of its construction, the train car somehow fortified the darkness against the day, shielding its innards from the sun's rays, maintaining the integrity of the dream that was now only a collection of carved bodies and heads. I replaced the mask of the mad mercenary, slipping it gently over his faceless face, a thing that had no meaning beyond the gas mask that obscured it. I reached down and gathered the engraved remains of Janice's three now-grinning faces. I took the heads of the two monstrous killers and hung them from the ceiling, far from the other assortment of dangling and whittled heads. Wolves have no place among the sheep, which is almost certainly true in life and most definitely the case when it comes to the care of their respective corpses. Perhaps Janice would have conceded at least that much, if not the larger analogy concerning killers and wolves. Although, if I am being honest, I'm none too fond of the analogy myself. Has no wolf ever possessed the powers of an artist, let alone the vision of a dreamer? As I made my way to a seat within the train, I imagined my blood as the only weight holding me to the earth. As it leaked away, I began to fear that I might drift into the sun, where yellow gods stared out from their infinite boredom, laying their sick, warm sight upon dying and dead worlds that have long since rusted into their orbits. I grasped the armrests of the seat as I descended into it, affording myself an additional anchor to the world. Once I was firmly invested within my new location, I gazed casually around the train. Poor Janice. What has the world lost with your passing, I wondered, looking at his three faces, each one spilling its collection of chaos across the floor. I hoped that whatever was lost from Janice had been conserved within Jack. Of course, my hopes were the same regarding the Mad Merc and myself, but I felt only shame. Nothing of the unique forces that had made a monster out of a common killer for hire. I had hoped to at least learn the means by which one might enter that delightful place he had mentioned, but I was no wiser for having held his head in my hands. I wasn't sure if the blood loss had affected my vision, or whether the previous dream had continued to swell, like some contusion upon the skin of reality itself. But the passenger car in front of me seemed to house some remaining particles of life. As far as I knew, all the previous occupants were now only the wet ornaments of Jack's holiday. I could see dark shapes drifting through the aisles moving away from me, apparently engaging some greater and more distant darkness closer to the front of the train. Having nothing better to do than bleed, I decided to follow them. The second I moved from my seat, I knew I was dreaming. My body fell into a current of invisible movement that pushed me forward. As I glided, I spied a group of strange young women standing on both sides of the aisle in front of me. Every one of them was raven-haired and possessed the latest blue eyes, which appeared like glimmering beads of water that defied gravity by the sheer force of their beauty. The tallest of the group, whose height was only slightly less than my own, spoke to me. Have you any idea who conducts this train? As many times as I tried to ascertain that fact, I never learned. Her eyes were rainstorms, and I could hear the water of weeping skies falling across the world of tender young leaves. I almost forgot to respond. I have no idea, but I am sure they are competent. Certainly you have no cause for concern. 
My words seemed lost to the rain, and I was curious if I had spoken at all. The woman smiled at me, as if I had given precisely the answer she desired, and quickly withdrew behind the shadows of the train. Before I could begin to contemplate what had happened, invisible hands pushed me onward, far away from the women, where I felt compelled to refocus my attention upon the line of wandering shadows. In service to my new obligation, I observed that after each shadow crossed into the next car, the darkness beyond the threshold deepened, gaining the appearance of a massive hole that extended beyond the dream of the train. I drew up behind the last silhouette in line and waited my turn to move into the next world. The opening did not lead me to some other dream, but into a supernal synthesis of darkness and silence, which I theorized to be the product of the shadows merging together. The hybrid substance approximated the closest thing to a fully realized oblivion, and all of it stitched together from the rootless bodies of sacrificial shades. Within that near nullity, I could detect the absence of memories and dreams, and most importantly, I heard the sound of something about to begin. Swiftly, but with the caution of a mother lifting her child for the first time, the darkness enfolded me. It was at that moment when the quiet broke upon a sweet and breathy whisper that said, the silence before the womb and beyond the grave. It's all for you, my son. Seek out the quiet of lonely places, and death may not hear you. It was my mother's voice. I do not know where she spoke to me from. So, I determined, that the whispers must have come to me from some distant memory, sealed up within a void that required the death of several shadows to reacquire. I thought I was about to exit the makeshift oblivion when another sound entered into the nothingness, unapologetically and sloppily scattering the muffled voices as it blundered about. Again, I could feel the burning eyes of my family, throwing fire and trying to force me to ignore some scorned thing that dwelt within sleep. Or was the sound coming from someone else's dream? With all the dream swapping going on, the question was as valid as any other. The sound became progressively more distant and soon gelled together into the pathetic cries of a child. This was quickly accompanied by another sound, which emotionally was nearly the equivalent of a child's sadness, but composed entirely of rage. What surprised me most about the second sound was that it actually frightened me, and yet it was nothing more than a man's raised voice. Stop whining and hold still. If you make me ruin another painting, I'll hang you in the room with the rest of them. An image tried to follow on the heels of the voice, but it was blocked out by the high-pitched sound of a train whistle. I woke up on the floor of the train. It appeared that I hadn't even managed to make it to one of the seats. The train was in the process of exiting a tunnel, and as it re-merged into the light, the shadows were stripped of their plump, inky flesh, leaving behind only the bony silhouettes of solid, earthly objects. I rose to my feet. There was no pain and no blood. I opened my coat, looking for what should have been an abundance of ruined tissue. There was nothing, not even a scratch. The day was dying into twilight, the direction of the train bound for the source of all of that wonderful crimson. The failing sun splashed bloody light across my skin, confirming my lack of injury. I walked deeper into the light, certain that once the dusk was more concentrated upon the areas where I had been shot and cleaved, there would be a mark. 
yet there was still nothing. As I stared at my woundless body, something stood briefly in front of the red sun, throwing a rectangular darkness into the train. The shadow belonged to a large sign that read, Black River City. The location of Miss Patient's first recorded kill was finally at hand, and I was apparently no worse for the wear of my travels. The doors of the train opened as I reached them, but before I departed I looked back into the vehicle. As my sight moved into the darkened passages and over the empty seats, I knew the train was far from vacant. The means by which it moved was not solely dependent upon the steel of its tracks or the fire of its engine. My eyes lingered upon the swinging faces of the two fallen wolves as I disembarked. The only thing that identified the train station was a small wooden platform with a tall metal sign. The sign displayed the name of my destination, with an arrow pointing in its general direction. As I began walking the thin path that rambled among the high grasses, a strangeness seemed to gather within the twilight-soaked meadow that swayed to a slight breeze. And for the briefest of moments, I mistook it for a whisper. It was the dead world trembling, I thought. It seemed to me the more I played the shepherd's game, the more the world became like a dream. I closed on my destination, my head filled with images of mountains drifting through the air like dandelion seeds, and the dimly glowing oceans being tugged along by the gravity of moons made of foxfire. In retrospect, I should never have left the train. Flashing teeth, hungry mouths, sightless eyes, hooked claws. The only things I saw before my blood augmented the already considerable amount of red that had been supplied by the struggling sun. They came from the tall grass, quiet and vicious. They might have been dogs or even some kind of wolf, but I wasn't sure. After they tore me apart, they withdrew and crouched down somewhere in the field, where I could detect them only by their monstrous breathing. My once astonishingly rehabilitated body was now laid open. I was a clutter of ruined flesh that hung in gory flaps. Breath still haunted my lungs, but my strength was nearly gone. The very tops of the grass seemed to flame with the last touches of twilight, and the calming breeze played against the savagery of the previous moments. The creatures, whatever they were, seemed to be waiting for something and after a few minutes had passed, I heard footsteps coming towards me through the field. It was a calm gait, one that possessed only two legs. I think it might have paused for a moment to appreciate the spectacle of my blood mixing with the rays of the dying sun. The movement of the creature was light and graceful. It was a woman. I gathered the silence in the field, inhaling it while I listened. The night began trickling in as the sun grew colder. My sisters began to giggle softly, like children deliberating betraying their hiding places. Large storm clouds tumbled gray and ominous through the distant sky, mumbling. I determined my target, what I took to be the leader of the pack of monsters, as its breathing was the deepest and most measured of the horde. I couldn't convince myself to attack until I learned what the gathering of killers had in store for me, so I mustered what strength I could and waited. The woman's voice slipped between the grass and the breeze without creating so much as a ripple within the calm. You travel like a thoughtless bird, family man, straight and unwavering, 
and wholly predictable. The train is one of the worst ways to access the city. I really didn't think you'd take such an obvious route, but she assured me that you would. I should know by now not to question her. Her voice seemed to come from the grass itself. No figure appeared to which it could be attributed. Did you really believe she wouldn't know you were coming? Where do you think your dreams were going? After everything I've heard about you, you turn out to be nothing more than a simple-minded brute. You lack the cleverness of your art, monster. Well, I'm certain you must have at least learned enough about us from her dreams to know what comes next. Or were you foolish enough to believe that you would have the honor of being devoured by our mother? With a heavy heart, I surprised the massive beast from behind. I had crept beneath the sound of the woman's monologue to get close to it. Its strength was fierce and feral as it tried to struggle free of my grip, but my strength was greater. The creature's neck snapped with a loud crack, alerting the other creatures of their leader's sudden death. They came forward to investigate, and I took a moment to study them. They were beautiful, like wolves from another world. Their eyes were opaque and blind, their teeth and claws designed to hunt creatures far larger and fiercer than any earthly prey. They were the size of mountain lions and the color of summer storms, and they moved with the killing grace of predator shadows. My heart broke when they attacked. My father met the first beast in the air. The creature became nothing more than a shriek wrapped in blood. The second wished to test my balance by lunging at my knees. The sharpened butt of my father's handle passed through the creature's brain, continuing through its lower jaw and down into the earth. Still another beast leaped at my back. I spun around and sunk my deadly forebear into the thing's ribs, chopping the creature from its trajectory and sending it spinning and bleeding into the brambles. I detected the nimble retreat of the woman who had spoken to me. She had wisely determined that her pack of deadly beasts was not likely to outlive the dusk. The last two monsters tried to assist the woman's escape by rearing up in front of me in a show of intimidation. My sister slashed their throats in a wide arc before taking flight and plunging into the fleeing woman's back. She stumbled into the low-hanging limbs of a dead tree, just outside the point where the field weapon was. She tried desperately to hold herself up by using the lifeless branches, even as many of the limbs tangled her hair and poked in her flesh. Yet the brittle wood kept snapping off in her hands as she slowly collapsed to the ground. I wanted badly to spare the remaining creatures, but I couldn't let them appraise Miss Patience of anything beyond what my wayward dreams had already let slip. The beasts came at me almost passively, as if they had nothing left to fight for and wanted only to discharge their lives as quickly as possible. I made their deaths brief and gentle, their blood mixing with a few tears I wiped from my face. The woman was still breathing, as I had intended. I moved to look upon her face. She was blind and terribly beautiful. Her eyes were a marriage of glass and spring rain, and I immediately recognized her from my dream. Less like a thoughtless bird and more like an eagle, I said. An eagle has nothing to fear, and you will find no critics of its tactics among the littered bones of its prey. I had intended to probe her for insights into the mystery of Miss Patience, but I had destroyed far too much beauty that day to summon any lingering sense of purpose. I couldn't bear to look at her, 
As I turned away, I could hear the rain falling behind her beautiful, sightless eyes. She gathered what breath remained and spoke. I didn't know eagles could cry. In the next moment, the blind woman and the sun were dead. The newborn darkness drifted across me, washing the remains of the daylight from my broken skin. I sank into the darkened field, defeated. <laughs>